It's good to see each one of you here today, especially glad for all the visitors. There's quite a few visitors here, and we're just happy to have you here with us and invite you to join in worship together. Some of you may recall that earlier this year I preached two sermons from the book of Leviticus. Uh, the first sermon was an overview of the book, and the title of that sermon was Holy Unto the Lord. And then the second sermon that I preached from the book of Leviticus was a look at the sacrifices listed in the first few chapters of Leviticus. And we called that sermon A Glimpse Through the Binoculars. And in that sermon, I mentioned that the book of Exodus, just before Leviticus, illustrates the law. That's pretty easy for us to understand. Moses went up to the, to the mountain. He received the law, the Ten Commandments. And the book of Exodus is, uh, depicts uh, the giving of the law and the law. Whereas the book of Leviticus illustrates the gospel, pointing us to Christ and to the work of Christ. It's there to point forward to something better. And I called the Sermon on the Sacrifices a glimpse through the binoculars because we were pointing ahead to the work of Christ and to our response as believers. Now this morning we want to look at another theme found in the book of Leviticus, and that is the feasts. And it's interesting that Glenn already touched on this subject this morning, it's not the first time that Glenn used a passage or the subject I was planning to preach on for the devotional. Makes me kind of nervous. I wonder if he has a camera set up over my desk. Someone said that great minds think alike. Someone else said small minds never dare to think differently. So I guess I'll leave it for you to decide which is the case in this matter. At any rate, I'm glad for the Holy Spirit's leading, and apparently he wanted us to think about the feasts uh, today, and that's what we're going to do. Initially, I thought about calling this sermon A Glimpse in the Rearview Mirror. That title would give the impression that the feasts are designed to commemorate or remember something that took place in the past. And while that is true, to a degree, that does not give us the whole picture. The feasts are also, and perhaps even more so, typical or depicting something that is yet to come, indicative of something that's to take place in the future. So I concluded that A Glimpse in the Rearview Mirror would not be a good title. The title I chose is We're Not Home Yet. And perhaps that doesn't uh, make a connection with the feasts, but hopefully by the end of the sermon, uh, you'll see the connection there. Now, studying the feasts for me is new turf. It's unexplored territory. In a physical sense, I enjoy exploring new territory. I enjoy getting to places where I haven't been before, discovering some of the back in areas, and, and what's there to find out. I've had opportunity to do that sometimes. On a few occasions, I've had opportunity to explore some areas where few people have been before. Well, to me, this was going somewhere where I've never been before. And concerning the feasts, I always kind of had the opinion, so what? What's in it for me? Now, this is something that was done way back, way back then, and I'm not sure what significance they have for me today. Well, that question can be a good question if it is asked sincerely. What significance do they have? Well, let's find out. I think there is meaning to the feasts, and there are applications for us today. And uh, I've enjoyed looking at the subject. In fact, I was pretty overwhelmed by it and uh, found that there's, there's lots there to be discovered. Let's look, first of all, at a little bit of a definition. Point number one, the main point number one, the feasts defined. I'd like to look at the question, what exactly is a feast? And I think it's important to understand this because our understanding may be a little bit different than what's depicted here in the scripture. Our perspective 
of a feast is lots of food in a festive atmosphere. Bring on the food, lay it out, a big spread, a banquet, a celebration. We might think of a wedding meal. We might think of a Thanksgiving meal. At any rate, the focus is on food and usually lots of it. That's what we think of when we think of a feast. Well, what about the Old Testament perspective? Our English translations of the Bible may do us a bit of a disfavor in using the word feast in some of these situations. There are two different Hebrew words used in the Old Testament, very different Hebrew words, that in most of our Bible translations are both translated as feast. And that can be a little bit confusing for us. So I'd like to look at those two different words and try to understand the difference between them. The first Hebrew word actually means a banquet or a feast. So that would be the understanding that we have. And I'll give several examples, and these examples are all from the book of Genesis. In Genesis 21, Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. So there was a celebration. He made a feast. There was lots of food. Genesis 26, when Isaac made a covenant with Abimelech, he made them a feast. Again, a celebration, a lot of food. Genesis 29, after Jacob served seven years for his wife, and Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. This was a wedding celebration, and there was lots of food. So this is pretty easy for us to understand because it's the same use that we use today. Well, there's another Hebrew word, a second Hebrew word, which actually means a solemn holy day, a divinely appointed festival. Now, in the Hebrew meaning of this word, food is not actually included in the meaning. It's more of a, of a celebration, a gathering, a festival. And even though most of our English translations translate that word as feast, it may not include what we think of as feasting. In fact, one of the feasts, what we call feasts, actually involved fasting. We don't usually think of those two as going together. But it was a holy remembrance gathering together. And I'd like you to note that this second use is the Hebrew word that is used every time we see the translation feast in the King James Version in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So every time you see in the King James Version the, the word feast in those four books, it's referring to the second meeting, meaning a solemn holy day. One translation at least uses the word festival instead of feast, which may give us a, a little bit of a different idea. Now, there's also a third Hebrew word, which is used in our passage that uh, John read today in Leviticus 23, and that word is translated convocation, which that, what that means is an assembly or gathering. Convocation just simply means well, kind of like a congregation. We congregate, we gather, we assemble. And it's interesting that every time the word convocation is used in the Bible, it is preceded by another word, holy. So it's not just a gathering, it's a, a holy gathering, getting together for a holy assembly. So as we think of these events, which are translated feasts, Rather than thinking of a huge Thanksgiving spread, it may be more helpful to think of something of a spiritual nature, a holy gathering, maybe something like gathering together for a communion service. You know, in that case, there's some food involved, but not exactly a feast, but it's more the significance and the meaning behind it. And that's what we want to focus on this morning as we look at the feasts. So we looked at what is a feast. Let's look now at what is the purpose of these feasts. These feasts had some purposes, and I think, I think there are four 
primary purposes. And number one is worship. It's interesting, as we gather together here this morning before our Sunday school classes, the first two songs that we sang both had to do with worship. The first song, we now have met to worship thee. That's why we meet, to worship. The second song, God himself is present. Let us now adore him. Let us worship him. So the purpose of these feasts in the Old Testament, one was worship. We could call this the upward look. The upward look to focus on God's personality, who he is, what he has done. And it's interesting. In Leviticus 23, verse 2, it says, these are my feasts. doesn't say they're your feasts. God speaking, these are my feasts. The focus is on me. And also in this chapter, throughout the chapter, six times we see the phrase, a feast of the Lord or feasts of the Lord. So the focus is on God. And I just want to emphasize that because that is quite a contrast to most of our feasts or banquets today, which tend to be very man-centered. These feasts were not merely about having a good time, but to focus on God and to worship Him. And we tend to lose that perspective pretty easily today. Our religious holidays on our calendar have become very man-focused. Days like Good Friday and Ascension Day and Pentecost can come and go, and we barely even think about their significance. And then there's the bigger holidays, like Easter and Christmas and Thanksgiving. But even in those holidays, we tend to become so easily distracted by family and social events that their real meaning tends to kind of be pushed into the background. But God established his feasts, these feasts, not merely for a social gathering, for a party time, but to focus on him, to draw our minds to him and to worship him. And we're going to come back to some of this later. So what is her purpose? Number one, worship. Number two, remember. And this we could call the backward look to look back and remember a great event that God performed. Remembering is a theme of the Old Testament. We see it throughout the Old Testament. God told the children of Israel when they crossed the Jordan River, pick up stones, carry them with you, take them to the bank, set them up on a pile, establish them as a memorial. Why? So that you can remember. Your children come along here, what's this pile of stones doing here? You can tell them what they're about. Remember, God told the children of Israel, write these things on the posts of your house and of your gates. Why? So that you can remember. Talk about them as thou walkest by the way when thou sittest down to remember. God told the children of Israel to dress in a distinctive way. And I find the reason for doing that very interesting. It wasn't not to show everyone else who you are, but he specifically mentioned so that you remember who you are. When you put on this garb, it will help you to remember who you are. And that's the same reason why he set up these feast days, to help us remember the things that God did. Deuteronomy 8, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee. So the purpose of the feasts, number one, to worship God, turn our minds toward him. Number two, to remember, to remember the great things that he did. Number three is to anticipate. And this would be the forward look, to look ahead into the future and anticipate a great event that God promised. So you see these feasts have kind of the twofold aspect, the looking back and the looking ahead. Actually, there's four purposes, the upward look, the backward look, the forward look, to anticipate a great event that God promised. In Colossians 2, there's a passage there that refers to the holy days and Sabbaths, 
And it tells us that they are a shadow of things to come. Something that we can anticipate, something that is ahead, something that is still before us. So while the feasts do look backward, they also focus forward and upward. Well, there is a fourth purpose to the feasts, and that is to assemble. We read this word convocation, which is mentioned many times in this chapter, or numerous times, and as John mentioned, that simply means an assembly, to assemble yourselves together. And we could consider this the outward look, looking to one another, our brothers and sisters, our fellow believers, to those around us, and encouraging each other, assembling with God's people. Remember, these gatherings were called a holy convocation, a holy gathering. Now, it's pretty easy for us in today's world to try to be independent people. We take care of ourselves, we think. We act as if we don't need the church. We act like we can just sit at home and have our own worship service. But it's not true. It just does not work. We are commanded in the Old Testament, God's people over and over again were commanded to gather together. In the New Testament, the same thing is true. We are commanded to gather together. Forsake not the assembly of yourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another as we gather together, fellowshipping with one another. So we looked at the feasts defined. What is a feast and what is their purpose? Let's move on to the second main point now, the feasts described. And chapter 23 of Leviticus lists in order seven specific feasts. And I'm just going to go down through this list and make a few comments on each of them. And then uh, later on we will make some practical applications for us. So the feasts were described here in Leviticus 23, and you might want to keep your Bibles open to that passage as we go through this chapter. Now, I want to uh, remind you that this is not necessarily when these feasts were initiated or when they were first presented. At various times in earlier passages, these feasts were, were taught, they were presented, they were initiated, but this is a list, a reminder in which God declares that they are, or that they were, in the setting of the Old Testament there, to be observed. So the first one is the Passover. We find that in verse 5. In the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. The 14th day of the first month. Now that is not January 4th. So I'm sorry, Barbie and Dave and Brian, it's not on your birthday. The, first day, or the 14th day of the first month actually was in the springtime. The Hebrew calendar started in the spring. New life meant a new year. When God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, he specifically said, this month shall be to you the beginning of months. It became the first month of their calendar. So this was a spring feast, a feast that was celebrated in the spring. And I mentioned that the, one of the purposes of these was to remember. Passover was an annual reminder of God's deliverance of the Hebrews from Egypt when the death angel passed over the houses where the blood was applied. You can read about it in Exodus 12. Verse 14 of that chapter says, the feast shall be kept through the generations as a memorial. In other words, don't forget. Don't forget what God did for you. It was a time of looking back and remembering the deliverance that God provided. It's also a time of looking ahead, but we won't touch on that now. The second feast was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You can read about that in verses 6 to 8. And it's interesting, you read in verse 6, verse six, on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Do you remember when the Passover was? It was the 14th day of the first month. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread 
follows immediately on its heels. These feasts were, were kind of grouped together. It was kept in conjunction with the Passover, kind of like we observe communion and feet washing. Two ordinances we observe together at the same time. And at this feast, there was to be no leaven or yeast uh, found in their houses. It lasted seven days. For seven days, he ate unleavened bread and offered offerings to the Lord. And two of those seven days, the first and the seventh, were holy convocations, assemblies, when the people gathered together, a sacred gathering together of the people. Forgetting to keep up here. The first feast was a Passover feast, the second, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Feast number three is the Feast of First Fruits. And this was another spring feast or festival at the beginning of the harvest, which I assume was their barley harvest. And as I understand it, the first sheaf that was harvested was supposed to be brought to the priests and offered to the Lord presented to the Lord, along with a burnt offering. And it specifies in verse 14, it says, Ye shall eat neither bread. Okay, so we're thinking about the, the first fruits of the harvest here. Think about barley or wheat. So you're not supposed to grind any of this wheat and turn it into bread. You shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, dried grain, nor green ears, fresh grain, until you have brought the offering to God. So until they brought this first fruits to God, they were not even supposed to eat of the harvest. Interesting. No walking through the pea patch and eating that first pod that you find of fresh peas. No walking through the strawberry patch and getting that first ripe strawberry until you recognized God gave the first fruits to him until God was duly recognized. And I think this is to remind us of who we are. Life is not about us. We are merely God's unworthy servants, the benefactor of his provisions. He must be served first. God needed to be recognized before his blessings were to be enjoyed too often we want to enjoy God's blessings and forget about who God is. But God says, first, we need to recognize him, and then we can focus on his blessings. Feast number four was the Feast of Weeks, and this is described in verses 15 to 22. Now, this was a little bit later in the spring, which might correspond sometime in our month of May. This was celebrated the day following seven weeks after, I think it was the Passover. So you had seven weeks plus one day. How long was that? Seven times seven is 49, plus one is 50. 50 days later, and from that we get the word Pentecost. So this was also known as the Feast of Pentecost, the penta being the suffix for 50. What happened 50 days after the Passover? Now I'm looking back in Egypt when God delivered the children of Israel from the Egyptians, brought them through the Red Sea. What happened 50 days later? Now I have not done enough research to be able to prove this, but Bible scholars indicate that it was likely 50 days between the deliverance from Egypt and the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. I find that interesting, fascinating. The giving of the law on Mount Sinai could be considered the establishment of Israel as a nation. Before that, they were a people, but at that point, they became a nation. And I think uh, perhaps we may hear more about that another day. The Feast of Weeks, remembering the establishment of the nation of Israel. Well, then we move on to Feast number five. This is the Feast of Trumpets. Now we're moving, the first four feasts were spring feasts. Now we're moving 
to the fall. This was an autumn feast. The Feast of Trumpets, and of course we can think of looking ahead when the trump shall resound and in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the trump shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, we shall all be changed. Uh, there's a lot of significance we could get into there. The sixth feast was the Feast of Atonement. We heard a little bit about that this morning. That is found in verses 26 to 32 of Exodus 23. And it's interesting in verse... Uh, page here. Verse 26, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, verse 27, on the tenth day of the seventh month there shall be a day of atonement, that shall be a holy convocation, a holy gathering together, and ye shall afflict your souls. What does that mean? It likely means fasting. It shall be a time of fasting. So you're gathering together and you're going to spend this time in fasting. Humble yourselves by fasting. That's what the Amplified says. Ye shall humble yourselves by fasting. And remembering God's atonement. The seventh feast, then, is the Feast of Tabernacles, which we see in the remaining portion of this. And uh, this feast was also known as the Harvest Feast or the Feast of Ingathering. And it's interesting, in, uh, it's the same, same feast. In verse uh, 34, it shall be called the Feast of Tabernacles. Jump down to 39. Also, in the 15th day of the seventh month, the very same day, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord. So we may refer to this as the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Ingathering. And this was a feast that lasted for seven days, and basically, we could say it was seven days of camping. It describes in this passage how they were supposed to gather branches of trees, from palm trees, from willows of the book, brook, bring these branches together and make yourself a little hut. And this was to remember when you left Egypt, the first place you camped was at Succoth, which means huts. It's also called, uh, referred to by that name. So the Feast of Tabernacles, in this case, tabernacle does not mean a place of worship. Now in the Old Testament, we refer to the tabernacle as a place of worship, as a tabernacle. But the reason for that is because the tabernacle was built as a tent. Tabernacle actually means a tent or a little hut. So these tabernacles remind me a little more of the huts that we used to build as boys in the woods. Go in the woods and gather some sticks and branches and some rocks and make a little outline, prop up some sticks, and we called them forts or whatever we called them. That's kind of what these tabernacles were like. We had a lot of fun as boys, but any protection our huts provided was strictly imaginary. Uh, there was no protection in them. And somehow I can imagine that this was a feast that the children really looked forward to, when Dad would actually go out in the backyard with them and build a hut. It's probably something that they got pretty excited about. Maybe that's why it appeals to me here as well. Let's move on and look at some applications. Third main point, we looked at the feasts defined, the feast described, and now the feasts applied. At the beginning of the sermon, I asked the question, so what? What difference does it make? What's in it for me? What's the significance for me? Well, let's consider that. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul told the Corinthians, he was referring to the children of Israel. He said, our fathers passed through the sea. They were fed bread in the wilderness. They were given water, water to drink. And he says, now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So how are these feasts practical for us? 
Now, I want you to remember, I said there were four purposes for the feasts. Let's have a little bit of review. What was the first pur purpose? Someone tell me. Worship, number two. Remember, number three. Anticipate, number four. Assemble, gather together. I think these are things that we need to focus on as well. And I mentioned that these feasts are divided into two groups. The spring feast, the first four of them, the spring feast, and the last three, the fall feasts. And it's commonly understood that the first four, the spring feasts, were prophetic of Christ's first coming to the earth. That's pretty easy for us to see, pretty easy for us to understand. Even the timing corresponds. Jesus, like the Passover lamb, died in our place. When did that happen? When was he crucified? It was right at the timing of the feast of the Passover. That's not coincidence. That's design of God. Followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Firstfruits, depicting Christ's resurrection. He is the firstfruits of them that slept, the first to be resurrected and ascend to heaven. Fifty days later is the Feast of Weeks, which corresponds directly to Pentecost, when the Spirit descended and the New Testament church was born. The last three feasts, the fall feasts, are understood to be prophetic of that which is yet to come. Prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled with the Feast of Trumpets, Atonement, and the Tabernacles anticipating the rapture, Israel receiving her Messiah, God's kingdom being established here on the earth. And for the remainder of this sermon, I'd like to zero in on one feast and look at that for some practicality. And I confess, as I began this subject, my, my goals were a little bit too ambitious. I thought we could give an overview of each of the seven feasts and what they mean to us. But um, I found it was a little bit like walking through a buffet and filling your plate up with all this good food and then realizing that it's just too much. So we're going to zero in on one of them, and that is the Feast of Tabernacles, which... as Glenn mentioned, on the Jewish calendar, is happening right now. This year, the Feast of Tabernacles began on September 29th, which was, what, two days ago, and goes through October 6th, about the end of this week. So right now, the Jews are celebrating the Feast of the Passover. I find this feast to be quite intriguing, as already mentioned. How creative of God. Go build a hut in your backyard and live in it for a week. Did you ever realize that the Bible instructs us to go camping? Instructs God's people to go camping? These huts were built out of sticks and branches. Maybe they had an open top. And the name of this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, we mentioned is also referred to as the Feast of Harvest or, or Ingathering. And a common practice, I think even today, when the Jews build these little shelters or huts in their backyard, is then to decorate them with fruits of the harvest. They might hang some, some vegetables or different crops or different things that they, uh, they gathered from the harvest, Kind of like our Thanksgiving season when we put up corn shocks and pumpkins and other fruit items. So what is the purpose of all this? I'd like to go through these four things that we mentioned, the four purposes for the feast, and zero in on this feast. The Feast of Tabernacles is a time of worship. Imagine sleeping out in your backyard in this little hut that you constructed. Maybe it has a roof. Maybe it doesn't. If it does, just some branches, some sticks laying across the top. So as you lie in there at nighttime, you can look up through there and see the stars and the moon 
shining through. This was a reminder of God's glory and who he is. Because when you're sleeping out in the backyard, you can see God's glory displayed in a way that you can't see in your bedroom. And perhaps as the Jews reclined in these little huts, the thought that was going through their mind was, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. You see, it was a time of worship, drawing their mind to God. And it was a reminder, the God that created those stars is the God that created me. And the God that ordained the circuits of the heavens is the God that plans my path and prepares my life before me. How excellent is his name. He, he alone is worthy of our worship. So the purpose is worship. The purpose is to remember. Perhaps as the families gathered together in these little huts, these little shelters, the parents would sit down beside the children and you say, see this, see this little shelter here? See these vegetables hanging around the edges? That's to remind you of something. And it was a reminder of God's provision and care in their past. And the parents probably told stories to their children. When they came out of Egypt, when they were young children, they had to be because all the older people died. We made little shelters in the wilderness. And that's where we lived. We lived in tents. And God took care of us. For 40 years, he gave us food to eat. For 40 years, he gave us water to drink. And our shoes, they never wore out. We wore the same shoes for 40 years. And they could talk about God's provision and remember what he did for them. And they could tell their children. If God provided for us in the wilderness, certainly he can provide for us in this land of plenty. God took care of us, he is taking care of us, and he will take care of us. But I'd really like to, for us to allow this feast to help us to anticipate. Now, I know that not all of you have the same opinion about camping. In fact, I've heard some of your opinions about camping. Some of you love it, and some of you don't. And furthermore, our styles of camping vary tremendously. There are a few diehards who, if you're not in a tent or a hammock or under the open stars, you're not camping. A cabin is not camping. It's going to a cabin. Well, there are others that camping means living the high life with luxury. And some of us camp in conditions that many people in this world wouldn't even dream of living in. And we call it camping. So camping can vary. But keep in mind what Old Testament camping was like. These people did not have a $200,000 motorhome. They didn't have a lazy boy recliner or a couch or a pillow top mattress in their little shelters. And even though it may have been exciting for some, and even though the children may have looked forward to it, by the time a week was up, I can imagine they were more than ready to move back into their houses again. And this week probably stirred up within them a a spirit of anticipation, you know, when's this week going to be over when we can finally go back to our home and sleep in our own beds again? This feast is a reminder that God has something better for us ahead. You know, sometimes we get so caught up with the things of this earth 
that we forget to look about what's ahead. And maybe sometimes we just need to go camping to remind us that there is something better ahead. Perhaps we should all go out and live in stick shelters for a week to remind us that our homes and all those things that we invest so much energy into are just temporary. We have more to look forward to. And I, I was reminded of the words of the song. It says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. They're all expecting me. And that's one thing I know. My Savior pardoned me, and now onward I go. I know he'll take me through, though I am weak and poor. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I have a loving Savior up in glory land. I don't expect to stop until I with him stand. He's waiting for me now in heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Just up in glory land, we'll live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. Their songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And of course, O oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what would I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. So can you imagine a week lying on the hard ground, just looking forward to something better? That's where we're at this morning. This world is hard ground. We have something to anticipate. We have something to look forward to. This is a reminder. The Feast of Tabernacles is a reminder that the best is yet to come. And life awaits us. Paul describes those feelings in 2 Corinthians 5, where he compares the body that we're living to on this earth to a tent, a tabernacle, a temporary shelter, and the life that awaits us to a real house. Listen to what he says, and I'll be reading from the ESV. Some excerpts from 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Abraham had those feelings. Note what Hebrews 11 says. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise. Sojourned. He was on a temporary journey, as in a strange country. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. For he hath prepared for them a city. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Reminds me of another song I remember from years gone by. Here among the shadows in a lonely land, we're a band of pilgrims on the move, burdened down with sorrows, shunned on every hand, looking for a city built above. Here in disappointment, we so sadly roam. Folks no longer speak one word of love. Oh, we have found contentment. Jesus promised us a home. And I'm looking for a city built above. In this land of dangers, going here and there, trusting in the blessed Savior's love, though we may be strangers in this world of care, looking for a city built of love. And of course, we're looking for a city where we'll never die. There the sainted millions never say goodbye. There we'll meet our Savior and our loved ones too. Come, O Holy Spirit, all our hopes renew. So, the purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles, the application for us today, is to cause us to worship, to remember, to anticipate, and what's the fourth thing again? To assemble, gather together. I understand that these feasts were not done individually. It was not a solo affair where everyone had solo time for a week. 
it was done as community, not only with immediate families, but even extended families would gather and celebrate this time together. Seven days together. Maybe it took more than a weekend. Maybe it took the seven days for them to really anticipate something better than those tents. But what do families do when they get together? Families tell stories. Remember those tents we dwelled in at Succoth? Remember that first morning when we found manna? We didn't know what it was, but God provided. I remember how God delivered us from Egypt. You know, our children need to hear stories from the past. As we gather together, our children need to know how God delivered and protected us. They need to hear our testimonies. They should know how the early Anabaptists suffered, and yet God provided for them. Our children should know stories of their grandparents, maybe their great-grandparents, whatever we can remember telling them. I remember my mother telling me stories. I never met my grandfather, either one of my grandfathers. But my grandfather, on my mother's side, had a small business back in the 1930s, during the time of the Great Depression. He had a sawmill, and he hit hard times, and it just wasn't working out. And he lost everything he had. He lost his business. He went bankrupt. Those were difficult times. My mother told the stories how that eating a banana was such a special treat for her that when she carried the banana peels out to the pig pen, she'd chew off the insides of the skins before she threw them to the pigs because it was such a rare treat for her. But then she went on to say that even though through the bankruptcy, <clears throat> my grandfather was legally free from any debts. He kept record of everything he owed, and he worked hard, and eventually he paid back every cent. And that story made an impression on me of that type of responsibility. And our children need to hear stories like that. They need to hear how God led Assemble. And as I was thinking about these feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles, applying it to ourselves and assembling, it gave me a new appreciation for church camping. What if we would do it for seven days? Would we get tired of each other? Would we anticipate going home again? I think we probably would. But what if each evening we gathered around the fire? and told stories, told testimonies, told stories of God's deliverance, told stories of God's provision. You know, this was a hard time that I was going through, and this is how God provided for me. Or we could tell stories about when we were living in bondage and how God delivered us. I was bound by fear. I was just oppressed by fear, but God delivered me from that. Or perhaps, you know, I was living in a spirit of bitterness and unforgiveness, and I just had this bitterness churning within me. But God helped me to forgive, and God delivered me from that. Or I was bound by pornography. As hard as I tried, I just couldn't escape. I had these evil imaginations daily. But God delivered me from that. We need to hear these stories. I was wrapped up in chains of materialism and acquiring everything I could. But God delivered me. God gave me a new vision. God gave me a new purpose for life. I think this feast is a reminder for us that we need each other. We need to hear each other's stories. We need to hear each other's testimonies. There's something about an assembly of church, of saints, be it at church, be it elsewhere, that we really cannot duplicate with anything else. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. How can we turn our assemblies into a time of comfort?
for each other. I hope that you're feeling homesick. In fact, if you're not feeling a twinge of homesickness this morning, I think I failed in the purpose of this feast to help us anticipate what is ahead. Maybe you're wondering, well, what about all the other feasts? What about the first four feasts? In a couple of weeks, we have communion. Lord willing, perhaps you'll be hearing some more about some of those early feasts at that service. I'd like to close with the words of another song, a song that we've just heard recently, as a reminder that we are not home yet. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'll just read it. This old world is filled with disappointments and trouble every day. Many times I get discouraged and I almost lose my way. Then I remember I'm just a pilgrim in this troubled world below. That's the reason I keep singing as I go. There's a land filled with milk and honey just waiting for me. Someday Jesus will come and take me over that sea. Then I must keep watching and waiting in this troubled world below. That's the thought that keeps me singing as I go. We're not home yet, children. So keep your eyes on the Savior. Just a few more days to labor and we'll sit down beside the river. How we long to be with Jesus and our loved ones gone before. There's a better day a-coming. We're not home yet. Let's anticipate what God has for us. We'd like to close with prayer, and our practice here is to kneel for prayer. And if you care to us, you can join us in kneeling as we pray. Lord, I thank you for the window, the many windows that you provided in the Old Testament, windows into the future. And from our perspective today, that we can look back and see your plan throughout history. Thank you for these feasts and their significance. Thank you for the Feast of Tabernacles. And Lord, I pray that this feast would build within us, or this uh, celebration, this gathering, would build in within us uh, an anticipation for something better when we can return to our homes. May we look forward to that day. And my prayer is even so, Lord Jesus, come. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.